The biggest liability that seniors have today is not having a stroke. It's not falling down the stairs. Well, it might be falling down the stairs, but it's a safety issue. It's not uh, some other form of uh, crime. The biggest liability people have for their health and their safety and their finances is that house. Seniority Authority exists to answer your questions on aging. The world has changed dramatically in a generation with more retirees than ever before, living longer with more choices. If you're an older adult or have an older adult in your life, where do you go to begin to understand those choices? I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, with over a decade of work experience in retirement communities. I can track down the right people to answer your questions. So send your questions on aging to me, and together, let's get smarter about growing older. Welcome, I'm Kathleen Toomey. Today, we're gonna delve into the true revolution in the last few decades, which is how our attitudes and experiences of aging have changed. From the creation of the Social Services Security Act, the Social Security Act of the 1930s, to the impact of modern medicine, today's retirees have a vastly different experience than any prior generation. What's different from this experience? What pitfalls should we avoid? Our guest is John Spooner, co-CEO of Greystone Communities, a national leader in the aging industry with over 30 years of experience, and he will share his insights on what's different today. The purpose of this podcast is to answer your questions on aging. So send us questions and topics that are on your mind, either through our website or the show notes. We will track down some experts and some answers for you so you can get smarter about growing older. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Now, let's hear from today's guest. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Actually wrong, at least about aging. Our experience of aging is vastly different today than prior generations. How have things changed? How should we plan ahead now? What common pitfalls should we avoid? In the next 45 minutes, we are gonna learn how to plan better for aging today. Today, my guest is John Spooner, co-CEO of Greystone Communities, a national leader in the aging industry. Greystone has worked with more than 500 different organizations across 46 different states. John is a graduate of Drake University and was an advanced fellow in economics at the University of London. A highly sought after speaker, John has dedicated his life's work to understanding and improving the experience of aging for hundreds of adults across the United States. He has spent a significant amount of time consulting, encouraging, understanding, and shifting the contracts, services, and amenities 
in hundreds of communities nationally. Welcome to the podcast, John. Great to have you here today. Thank you, Kathleen. I am going to let you take it from here, John, because I know you're going to review with us just exactly how we got here today and how things have changed in our attitudes and experience of aging. Just want to remind our listeners that we thrive on questions, so please submit your questions through our website or in the show notes. John, what can you tell us about how things have changed? Well, today, and welcome everybody, today our topic is really going to be centered around the words successful aging. So this book was written, oh, in the early 2000s. Uh, You can see the authors there, um, University of Michigan School of Medicine. And Successful Aging uh, was the name of this book, but has really become a byword for how people want to live their life in their final stage of life. So I want you to think about aging for just a minute and think about that somebody in your life taught you how to ride a bike. Somebody probably taught you how to manage your career or somebody talked to you about how to be a parent. You got guidance through most phases of life, but nobody has ever taken a course or been given much guidance in how to age, let alone age successfully. Now there's lots of catchphrases out there. Aging is not for sissies. Aging sucks. There's all that going on out there. But today I want to talk to you about an approach and an execution so that as everyone ages, whether it's a parent, a loved one, an aunt, an uncle, yourselves eventually, there's going to be a context to part of what aging is in this phase of your life. So let's talk for just a minute about life expectancy. And this is a most confusing and misrepresented concept. So life expectancy is, everybody believes that the biggest influencer is genetics. Hey, mom lived to be 97. Hey, my great aunt Millie lived to be 102. I'm going to live a long time. We all know that it's generally accepted that women live longer than men. We all know that for children born in the year 2020, if they're female, their average life expectancy is going to be 87. If they're male, their average life expectancy is going to be 83. Important, important differentiation. These are averages. And what are averages? They're nothing but a mathematical convenience to express a complex variable, meaning that there are so many pieces and parts that go into the calculation of life expectancy that it really has no bearing on any one individual. So life expectancy is really an algorithm of assumptions based on large numbers of population. So it's like, how long will people live in the state of Idaho? How long will people live in the country of India? How long will people live in the United States? And those are life expectancy calculations. Life expectancy is the sum of the birth rate, genetics, the work you choose, public health improvements, access to medical care, are you married, are you not married, and advances in medicine. In our lifetimes, persons reaching mid-adulthood and adulthood in the year 2020, interestingly enough, the biggest contributor to life expectancy in the past 50 years has been clean water and advances in pharmaceuticals and diagnostics, as well as prenatal care. So all those things go in to describe life expectancy. It's not how long you live, it's how long a large population of people will live. So the biggest markers 
of long life are, of course, genetics, access to medical care throughout your life for preventative maintenance, improvements in medical care, education, a little bit of diet, and whether you're married or single or however that goes. So all those things boil into life expectancy. So in this book, it describes the fact that we used to think that genetics were about 70% of the influence relative to how long we are live. And about 30% of it was lifestyle. Successful aging today tells us that those are almost inverted. It's about 40% genetics and about 60% lifestyle. So as we go through this, we're going to talk a little bit about mom and dad. So mom and dad being who they are, are probably doing just fine. Uh, maybe there's some issues, they're starting to see issues. But at some point in time, an adult child is going to be faced with making a decision to talk with mom and dad about what their future holds. Now, being the subject matter expert in my family, I was chosen to do this task with my in-laws and my own parents. And it is no fun. It is no fun. So as we go through this today, I hope to give you some pointers about when the talk comes, you have a chance to be armed with a little bit of information that might make the conversation go a little more smoothly. So let's talk for just a minute about how we got here today. So if you all remember your history lessons, in 1965 was the start of Medicare and Medicaid. It was Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Uh, the world was going to be transformed by this magical new healthcare program called Medicare. And by in 1965, the average life expectancy was 68. So Medicare was a pretty good deal. That means large numbers of the population were going to live to be 68. The government or Medicare was going to be on the hook for about three years. And that was going to be a very manageable assumption. Well, things didn't quite work out that way. But as you look at this chart, and those of you that can't see the chart, you'll see that there's a steep incline from the time you're born until about age 25, when your vitality is at its peak. And then as you age and get past 25 and life takes a hold and control of you, your vitality drops and drops and drops. And finally, you move down a very long, slow path to advanced age, which in those days was 68, and you die. So measured in vitality, you could say that in 1965, you lived a relatively short time, but you died a long time. So in 1965, any one thing would probably kill you. It might be a heart attack. It might be a stroke. It might be high blood pressure. It might be one thing. But that's changed dramatically. If we move on to the next view of this, you'll see that it's the same kind of chart. You are born and your vitality goes at a steep incline up to about age 25. But then as things have taken place between 1968 and about 2009, I'll tell you the importance of that date in just a minute, you'll see that life expectancy has been extended out to about 80 and that the general morbidity, meaning illness or health, morbidity is the term used for illness or health, is at a higher level for a much longer period of time. And the decline from poor health to death is incredibly steep and fast. 
So by 2009, life expectancy might have been pushed out to about 80. And the description of a person would be live long and die fast. And in the course of all this, you have probably witnessed this in your parents or grandparents, and your parents certainly witnessed this. So it used to be that people would live, uh, retire at 65, uh, live a very short period of time after 65. Maybe they went to a nursing home, but it took them a long lingering time before they died. Now, by 2009, we have much better diagnostics. We have much better public health. We have much better medical procedures. We have much better physician knowledge. We have much better uh, awareness of diet and much better all these things. And so people lived a much longer period of time healthy and died faster. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about it, that's really what everybody should want. You live a long period of time healthy and then die really fast, probably the best of all worlds. But what's coming is an even more extended period of well health. Again, about every six months that passes, a person gets another four to four and a half days of life expectancy. So as you go through this, now we're gonna be getting ready for lives in a few very short years when people are gonna to live to be on average 92. And what they want is the ability to live a long time healthy and die very fast. So instead of measuring lifespan, which is the period of time from birth to death, people will want to measure health span, which is how long am I healthy and can function at a high rate before the decline comes. Nobody can do anything about the decline. It's going to happen. But how long can I live healthy? and stay healthy. And that's gonna be part of the conversation as we proceed through this today. So now I'd like to focus a little bit on life phases. And you're all probably very familiar with the life phases that we all go through. There's adolescence, there's the, the uh, tumultuous teen years, there's young adult where people are finding spouses, getting married, doing all that other stuff. There's a long period of child rearing, child raising, there's the empty nester, there's the retire from work, and then there's the three phases of retirement, early retirement, mid-retirement, and advanced age. And those are colloquially known and jokingly called go-go, slow-go, and no-go. So when you first retire, you want to play golf, and you want to go out, and you want to have a good time, and you want to travel, and you want to spend time doing all those things that you couldn't do because you were working. Then things slow down. Things start to happen. Maybe your knees don't work. Maybe your high blood pressure gets you. Maybe you can't drive at night. That's you know the slow go period, which is I have to really change my lifestyle to, to respond to the changing needs of my body and my abilities. And then the no goes are those that really are need to have some form of care beyond what they can manage themselves. And so this period that goes into this when you live a long period of time relatively healthy and a short period of time ill when two or three things stack up on you. Those are called comorbidities. When, when, when you have two or three things that really get troublesome for you and you start seeing a quick decline in the health or functioning of uh, an adult, a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, whatever, that is a public health term called 
morbidity compression. And morbidity compression is that phenomenon that's happened as a result of our increases in lifespan, living healthy longer, and the compression of the period of time that you are ill. So morbidity compression is that public health term that says, hey, if I do this right, if I'm a successful ager, I'm gonna go through all those life phases, adolescence, teen, young adult, child raising, empty nest to retire from work. I'm gonna have a really long senior health span where I live well and healthy for a long period of time and have a really short end of life experience. You know, it'd be ideal if everybody just woke up dead, but that doesn't happen that way. We all have different ways that uh, the end of life comes. And for those that need some form of increased care, morbidity compression is the most likely scenario these days because of how we've gone through this whole process. So now we have these experience of a senior in 2020 viewed historically. So those persons that were born in the 1930s now, which are your parents' age, your aunt and uncle's age, those kinds of things. In 1965, when the Great Society was brought on and Medicare and Medicaid came on, they were in their 30s. So when they were in their 30s and into their 50s, what did senior living look like? Well, mostly it was very institutional grade kind of living, uh, lots of nursing homes, uh, lots of small apartments, lots of uh, care intensive environment, and lots of people that felt that moving from their house or their apartment or their condo to a senior living community was a real loss of dignity, a real change of uh, lifestyle too extreme to matter. And those poor, un unfortunate people that had to do that need to be visited by the Sunday School Visitation Committee or need to, needed to have the fortunate pity of us all because senior living was not an exciting thing. So now if you think about senior living today and those people that viewed senior living in the 1950s were looking at it for their parents. So they were saying, going around going, hey, mom needs some help. I better, I need to go find a place. The options were not very good. The options were not exciting. The options were not focused on a self-directed life, the options that were not at a point where a, a lot of dignity was available in an institutional grade life. So now here comes mom and dad who went through this at age 50 with their parents. And here comes junior or sis to say, hey, mom and dad, I've been thinking, I've been watching you. Maybe we need to be thinking about making a move and you're going to get your head handed to you because they're going to say, I'm not going to do that because what's in their mind? What's in their mind is that which they remember from when their parents needed care. And they're going to say, I'm not doing that. I'm going to say, I'm not ready yet. They're going to say, uh, don't put me there. They're going to say, this is not a, a way that I view my life unfolding. And most of all, they're going to say, I can't tell my friends that I want to go to some form of institutional housing. And therefore, you have a great big rift between you and mom and dad. Now. In many cases, it'd be a lot easier for me to go talk to your mom and dad if you'd come and talk to my mom and dad, because there is dynamics of a child talking to a parent that nobody else can understand except the child and the parent. And so sometimes you have to bring a professional in to have this conversation or somebody that's been trained in having this conversation, because 
you can speak truths much easier than having the emotional baggage and the emotional weight of asking mom and dad, what are their plans? And this really becomes, is called loss aversion. So what happens is loss aversion is a psychological thing, very prevalent in us all, but particularly in seniors, which is the tendency to prefer avoiding losses versus acquiring equivalent or greater gains. So I'd rather stay doing exactly what I'm doing, even though it might be risky and it might not be healthy, because I don't know what the future is. I don't know what change means. And you can tell me all day long that it's going to be a better lifestyle or I'm going to be healthier, or I'm going to be happier. But I don't believe you because what I have right now is what I want. What I have right now is exactly what keeps me going. And nobody's going to get me out of this house and you're going to carry me out of here with my boots on. And I'm not going to be changing anything because I don't believe my life will be improved. And I'm not willing to risk losing what I have for a better gain. Very powerful, psychological, embedded belief system in seniors. And so that's why you see people saying, oh, I'd never leave my house. Oh, I'd never go to that retirement community. Oh, I'd never change my lifestyle. I'm just fine here. When in fact, they're not. And so instead of saying, no, I'm never going there, junior or sis, they say, I'm not ready yet. And I'm not ready yet means I'll consider it someday when I'm ready to think about it, when it's my idea, when I really need it, but not now, not thank you very much. And that's a really interesting stopping point where most families really get stuck. They really get stuck at mom and dad digging in their heels or mom or dad digging in their heels and junior assist going, I can't get through this. I can't make any changes. I can't get mom and dad to be part of this. So let's dig a little deeper on how this unfolds. There are some fearsome forces out there that mom and dad are experiencing that junior and sis and an adult child might not be aware of because of the different life phases. So the kids might be in the early retirement or child rearing or empty nester phase, but mom and dad are in the second or third phase of advanced age. And what's, what they're thinking about is how long will I live? Will I run out of money? Who will care for me? Where will I go? These are powerful motivators. And even though they are questions that need to be answered, most people avoid this tremendously. Most people try to just say, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do that. But there's a couple interesting things to note. The probability is very, very high that your advanced age parents helped or assisted in some way, shape, or form with the care in advanced age of their parents, but they in no way want any part of you helping them because social mores have changed. It was expected in their day to have uh, the children live close and help out and be available for those kinds of things that are needed in advanced age. That's not a social mori today. That changed big time and they never want to be a burden. That's terribly important to them. So how do you answer these questions? How long will I live? Will I run out of money? Who will care for me? Where will I go? Well, let's dig a little deeper in some of this so we can uh, have some answers. So number one, and this is probably the most unpopular portion of this presentation that I can possibly imagine. And so instead of going through it really fast, I'm gonna spend some time here because it's really important. 
And that is their house is not their haven. The biggest liability that seniors have today is not having a stroke. It's, it's, it's not falling down the stairs. Well, it might be falling down the stairs, but it's, but it's the safety issue. It's not uh, some other form of uh, crime. The biggest liability people have for their health and their safety and their finances is that house. And they believe in their heart of hearts that that's where they want to die. They've lived there. They've raised their kids there. They've got the house paid for. It's working just fine for them. It represents isolation. It represents the ability to not control costs. And we'll talk about the controlling costs in just a minute. It represents maintenance problems that mom and dad may not want to be part of. It represents physical uh, aloneness. And during this pandemic, it was phenomenal, the changes in seniors' lifestyle. People thought their lifestyle didn't change their home any, every day anyway. Not true at all. Every aspect of their life, communication, contact with family, shopping, everything of theirs changed much to the detriment. So the house represents a liability from a safety standpoint. It represents a liability from a financial standpoint because you can't control the cost of taxes. You can't control the cost of maintenance. It takes a whole lot of time. It represents dignity in the hearts and minds of seniors because that's how they convey their image to their friends and themselves that they're living independently in their own home. But it is not their friend. And it will eventually turn and bite them, you know where, because that will be a problem. So now it's another important mind thing here that all their lives, people who are now seniors in stages of, re of retirement have spent their lives in accumulation. They saved their money, they put their kids through school, they paid off their house, they saved for their retirement, they bought a vacation house or they went on vacations they, and they, but all this time they're accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And now they get to be in advanced age and you get to be age 70 ish and you have all the money you're ever going to get most likely. Unless some great old aunt Millie uh, dies and leaves you a bucket of gold, you have all the money you're going to get and you have all the money you're going to have until the end of life. So hence the fear, fearsome forces we mentioned a few minutes ago about how long will I live? What if I run out of money? All those kinds of things. But the shift has to come where you go from accumulating to spending. And that's a very difficult thing. So even if you got them over the fact that their house is not the sanctuary that they think it is, you still have to get them over the fact that they need to be thinking about spending what they've saved now to have the finest nicest life instead of accumulating more, which they may never use. Big, important psychological shift. The subsequent part of this is because people are seemingly happy and comfortable in their home, even though all the risks that we've talked about, they can afford to stay there. Most seniors stay in their home too long. And so what happens is people want to move from the house or the condo or wherever into a senior living community and they get over to the senior living community and they find out they're just too frail because they've stayed in the house too long. They're socially isolated. They've got all kinds of assistive devices and all kinds of um, help that have helped, helped them stay in that home. But by the time they get over to the senior living community, they want to live with the independent living folks, but they can't do that because their dependencies are too great. So let's talk about those for just a minute. 
I'll use the term activities of daily living. This is an important term when under, trying to understand seniors. Activities of daily living is a word of art. It is universal throughout all 50 states in the United States, and they are all the same across every definition of every state statute available. And activities of daily living are those things that allow a person to live independently. So activities of daily living are expressed in terms of abilities, not in terms of disabilities. So we always think about advanced age as being an expression of disabilities, not true. Modern definition of advanced age is abilities. So there are six activities of daily living and they are dressing, bathing, transferring, moving from the bed to the chair, the chair to the potty, that kind of thing. Ambulating, which is a fancy way of saying walking down the hall or up and down stairs or whatever. Eating, the ability to feed oneself and dressing, the ability to dress oneself. All those things seem pretty simple uh, until what I said before, comorbidities show up. So if I can't transfer, I can't very easily toilet. If I can't bathe, I can't very easily do it. See how they all kind of fit together. So the activities of daily living are those things that you need to be watching for in terms of mom's ability to, or dad's ability to exist independently. Dressing, bathing, transferring, ambulating, eating, toileting. So there you go. Think about those in terms of how they are unfolding in a parent's life. So here, the, let's, let's summarize a little bit. Number one, seniors never wanna be a burden. They want a self-directed life. They wanna be in control of their own life. When they say, I want some choice of what I'm gonna do, what they're really asking for is control. Very important point of giving, making the parent feel like they're in control. And they want certainty and predictability. They want to know for certain what's going on. You've watched this in your, in your parents or your loved ones. They want to know what the weather is. They want to know what's for lunch. They want to know exactly what's going to go on. And when they can't have certainty, they want predictability. So we go on to this other part of the financial aspect, is, which is the return on investment declines in important. The measure of return on investment. And what happens is it becomes return on life. And return on life is those things that are measured by a successful aging, advanced age life. On the screen today uh, is a picture of the continental United States plus Alaska and Hawaii in the upper left and lower left-hand corners. Uh, in the box of each state is the number of life plan communities or CCRCs, which are senior living communities that have multiple levels of living throughout them. There's about 1,900 of these across the United States. They are heavily concentrated on the uh, East Coast because the East, uh, Eastern United States is somewhat older than the Western United States. That's where the big population centers are. But it tells you the story that um, CCRCs or life plan communities are popular, very popular. In fact, with all 1,900 of them uh, across the United States, there are 10% of that population in Pennsylvania where the um, much of the senior living uh, industry in the United States was started by the Quaker religion. And so you can follow the pattern of growth in senior living across the United States. And you can see how as states age, they get more senior living communities. As population advances, 
when the baby boomers come, uh, finding high quality senior living is going to be very difficult to find, and it's going to be very hard to find quality. So let's go back to this return on life just for a minute, because I want to end our session today by uh, understanding that return on life is having your health secure, having your residence, where you live matters, having your residence be a safe place that you can manage and you not have to worry about costs or you don't have to worry about the roof or you don't have to worry about anything like that. You wanna have a return on leisure, access to leisure. You wanna have a return on relationships. You don't wanna be socially isolated. You wanna be able to have many times like-minded people available and around for uh, conversation and companionship. You want security, security of health, security of finances and security of person. And you want purpose. So people that live in senior living communities often describe themselves as having a higher purpose because they are involved and engaged in social community activities. They're involved, engaged in meeting new people. They have a renewed focus on life. So this return on life is really an important concept that is delivered greatly by senior living communities. So I'll close today by asking you this one question. Uh, you can ask yourself or you can ask your parents, which is a good way to start a conversation with them about how do they envision their future? And that is, does the next five years of your life look like the last five years? If mom and dad are honest, they're gonna say, no, it doesn't look like the last five years. Things are changing in my life. And from that, you get a springboard to be able to talk about what it is they want out of life, how to give them control, how to give them choice, how to get them to talk about changing from the house, how to get them to understand the physical and mental strain and how it can be relieved by a more better choice. So thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to present. I hope this is helpful and uh, gives people some guidance that will enrich your families and make your moms and dads happier. That was wonderful, John. Thank you so much. I know that you touched on so many themes that are certainly familiar to me and to a lot of other people that I've talked to. I love your concept of return on life because I do think that's what some of our seniors are looking for is that sense of purpose. And you pack so much into this one session that I'm encouraging listeners to go back and re-listen to what John is saying about the different stages of living and the evolution of how we are living longer now and how we are trying to live longer and a more purposeful, engaged life and die faster, because I think that's a, a really great concept. I want to thank John, co-CEO of Greystone Communities, a national leader, to come here and share his wisdom with us. And we will be answering your questions. So don't forget to submit questions on our website or through the show notes, and we will definitely answer them. And we may encourage John to come back and tell us a little bit more because I think he's got more information and knowledge up his sleeve. That's our show for today. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and spread the word. Tell your friends to tune in and rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to share your questions. Until next time, get smarter and enjoy the chance to grow older. Thank you. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities. We're active adults 
find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioritiauthority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.